Welcome to the Life Church. We are so excited that you've tuned into our program to listen to a wonderful message. On behalf of Pastor Walt Landers, our senior pastor, we just want to say thank you. Our mission here at the Life Church is to connect people with God's purpose. If you don't already have a church home, we want to invite you to join us at 3301 TLC Way. Now let's prepare our hearts to receive a word from God through this morning's message. It's a good morning. Pastor Walt uh, is up in the Arlington campus this morning, and, uh, and I'm back on stage. i got to say a little nervous. I feel like it's been a while since I've been up here. Um, and uh, last time I got to preach Easter up in the Arlington campus. But uh, i got to say, I love this You Matter series. This You Matter series has been one of my most favorite series we've ever done. Number one, I love the resurrected Christ. Amen? And who's with me? We love Jesus. Jesus did not just die. He did not just get buried, but he was resurrected. He came back to life, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And he comes back to us. And in this series, in case you've missed it, we've been talking about Jesus resurrected, the resurrected Jesus showing himself to different people uh, throughout the gospel. And Pastor Walt started with Mary Magdalene a few weeks ago. And, uh, and then the disciples, Pastor David brought the disciples hiding in the house, hiding behind locked doors in fear, and yet Jesus still showed up among them. Amen. And, uh, and then last week, Pastor Walt talked about Thomas. Thomas, one of those guys who gets a bad rap because of one time in scripture. And Pastor Walt showed us more about Thomas and more of who Thomas really is and that we would be encouraged that we can do the same as well. And so today, we're going to talk about Peter. We're going to talk about Peter. But before we get into that story, I want to focus on a, on a particular scripture that I hope will resonate throughout the message today. And it's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. Like one pastor said, if you're not taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, in the message, I, I love some, some language that's used here that really resonated with me in what I'm going to share today. And we see here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. I love that phrasing right there, by the way. Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anybody feel like Jesus has gone to work on you lately? You know? And uh, I love that. Anyone who intends, he says, to come with me, has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. I'm going to say that again because we're going to talk about this word suffering today. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it? To get everything you want, but lose yourself. What could you ever trade your soul for? I love this translation that Eugene Peterson gave us. Don't run from suffering, though. I didn't run from suffering last week, or two weeks ago, actually. Um, if anything, I, I had to do with writing. I did, a, I did a, an event two weekends ago for my mom called the Sam's Club MS-150. It is a bike ride where you ride 150 miles over two days. Um, I, this is the whole reason I got into cycling to begin with. It was many years ago. My mom, who's been diagnosed with MS, uh, there next to me and some other people there. And, uh, and she asked me and my, my other two sisters I have in the Arlington, Dallas area to come and ride with her. 
And well, it's mom, so you don't say no, right? You gotta get an amen. Um, and so, and uh, now we're past Mother's Day. You're like, what? I ain't saying that. No. Um, and uh, and it's become an annual thing, an annual thing of punishment, of suffering to go and ride this. Um, of course, I choose extra suffering because the kind of bike I ride, but that's a whole other thing. So two weekends ago, I rode a hundred to be exact, because I don't round down, not when it comes to this, 157 miles over two days for my mom. Thank you. It's a, it's a great fundraiser. I love doing it. Day one, I'm just out there. And, and, and to be able to complete 103 miles on the first day, I just got to go my own pace. I got to go on my own. I, I don't even, I don't, my mom understands, thankfully, that she lets me go. She doesn't try to hold me back. And, uh, and I just got to go my pace. And, and, but with that, I, I've always run this bike computer. This bike computer attaches to my handlebars, and it shows me my, my speed, my average speed, my pace, uh, time miles. It gives me all this data and information so that I can be aware and in the know while I'm trying to do this race and accomplish what I'm trying to do. It's very important. That is part of also, uh, I've got to prepare physically and, and, and mentally and riding and mechanically with the bike and all those things. And I get there Saturday morning and it's like, it's 7 a.m. ish and we're getting ready for the start line and they're letting people go in groups and I go to turn my bike computer on and it won't turn on. This bike computer has been working on all my weekly rides, all my other rides, every day, including the day before, and now Saturday morning when it's time for the race, it doesn't turn on. There's a sensor down on the wheel with the computer up here, and it's wireless, and they're not communicating. We've got two things that need to communicate, and they're not communicating. I'm getting a little frustrated, a little angry, I'm starting to show it. You know, sometimes when that pressure's on, we find out who, what we're really made of and who we really are. And if maybe, if I, maybe, maybe because some of these people, they, they know my, they know my, my title, like as a, with the church that, you know, maybe I just bite my tongue enough and my face is, my face is saying what my tongue won't say, right? You know how that goes. And I'm frustrated. And I realized in this moment, this, this thing I've been hearing and listening to is this concept, this idea that I heard, which is to suffer is to not be in control. Let me say it again, as you kind of maybe push back against that idea and that concept, to suffer is to not be in control. You see, in the midst of this moment, I was not in control. What was defeating me was the thing that should never defeat me. First of all, technology should never win. My kind created its kind, right? It's not the other way around. This bike computer should not win against me. I have this philosophy in my house that anytime there's a tech issue, I will not give up until I win. I don't care what it takes. It can be kind of annoying for my family. And, and, and I wrestle with this idea at first, to suffer is to not be in control. Because when we think about to suffer, we, especially as Christians here in the church, oh man, we want, we want to think about Jesus and the suffering that Jesus went through, especially just coming out of Easter about a month ago. And we think about the, the physical beating that Jesus took, the, 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 the blood that he shed, the nails through his hands on a cross, and the spit running down his face from the humiliation and mocking of the soldiers, the crown of thorns placed on his head. And it's easy for us to go to another place and imagine a physical suffering of our Savior or maybe even what the disciples uh, took on in the early church and different things like that. 
We might even think about some of our, our relatives who may be sick and in the hospital or, or different situations. But, but if we can pull out of the physical and take a, and take a moment and, and come into the, the mental, the psychological. Because in 2019, let's be real, most of us, outside of illnesses and particular things, definitely, definitely in the sense of oppression, we don't really face a physical suffering that the church has known in the past. But as just human beings in 2019, oh, do we face a mental suffering of today. The different, different things that, that we are privy to and known. And, and it becomes a lot. And so what about the mental? And so I want to take a moment. I want to look at Peter. But before we look at Peter meeting the resurrected Jesus... I want to take a moment because as I wrestled with this, I saw Peter differently than I've seen him before. Because when we look at, we look at Peter with the sword, we look at Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus Christ when the, 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 the Roman, the, the, the guards are coming to arrest him, along with Judas to betray him. And when we see Jesus getting arrested in the gospel, and what does Peter do? Peter whips out his sword and slices an ear off. But Peter, why are you doing that? What's going on, Peter? As Peter is operating out of a, plane, of a place of, of pain and, and suffering. The suffer, he was, he was out of control. Which can we just recognize for a moment that anytime we say, oh, Peter lost control. Oh, my, my friend lost control. Can we just take a moment and, and identify that anytime we probably say that, that so-and-so lost control is that so-and-so never really had control to begin with. Peter, in the situation, never really had control to begin with. But the moment that control is challenged, there's an overreaction of panic and violence coming from Peter to take a sword and attack somebody and lose an ear. And, and I want to take a, a side moment here, not, not to point fingers at anybody but myself, but, but Peter kind of gets a bad rap for just cutting a guy's ear off, right? It was kind of like, like doubting Thomas last week. You know, except we really don't take it that far. We get to this part where we're like, oh, Peter, Peter again. Like, oh, this is just Peter. Like, right? We kind of get that way. And, and, but yet, how many times do we use this blade to cut off the ears of those around us? And I think it's really easy to look at that physical aspect of what Peter does and ignore what we do as humans. And I really don't see that it's much different. Especially when we get in the place that we feel like we've got to defend, that we've got to fight Does Jesus really need me to defend him in the same way Peter defended him? Because what we see in the gospel is that wasn't true. But I see Peter losing what he thought he had control. Peter was suffering. It doesn't matter whether it's justified or not. And let's make it clear that number one, let's, let's not try to say, yeah, 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 I know that person and I can see what you say about their suffering especially if they're, they're talking about me or coming against me or, or trying to attack my family or do the different things. But listen, I'm not, I'm not talking about whether it's justified or not. Because suffering is suffering whether it's okay or not okay. Pain is pain, right? Bleeding is bleeding. And what I'm not interested in anymore in this life is looking at just what somebody does. You know, the what no longer interests me. Even if we want to talk about crimes and, and someone 
thieving or, or stealing or doing something like that. Like, like it's not the what that interests me. It's the why behind the what. It's the why that truly shows us what's happening and why the what even exists. And it's the suffering that we all experience in this world. Every day I, I face this, this suffering. Every, just about every morning I get up and I have this suffering moment every time I get in my car and I go to put my seatbelt on. I hate that seatbelt. Oh my goodness, do I hate that seatbelt. It never fails almost every single morning. You'd think I would learn to maybe go slower, but I, t- I grab that seatbelt and I rip it. I don't just pull it. No, 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 no. Guys, you with me? Maybe even some lady? You rip that seatbelt and it rips out of my hand and it sucks back into that car side piece. Oh my goodness, seatbelt, I want to yell at you. I want to hurt you. I want one of those knives so I can cut you off me when you keep me from leaning forward at a stop sign, right? Anybody with me? We talk about suffering. I need you to understand what this suffering means. It's driving 101. You're coming to a stop sign. You need to look both ways, but there's like a car there. You're trying to see. And so at the same time you're braking, you're trying to lean forward. And your car says, "Eh, nope, ain't happening today. You're like, oh my goodness. I hate seatbelts. I hate shower curtains too. Shower curtains, one of these days, one of these days I'm finally just going to put like a glass door because I'm sick and tired. No matter what I do, no matter what takes place, no matter how many magnets are built into that shower curtain, I'm in the shower and I got shampoo on my head and there's stuff in my eyes and the thing's coming at my leg. Like, get off me, shower curtain. Quit taking my control, shower curtain, seatbelt. Man, I hate this thing. One of these days, you, you, you know you just want to fight the shower curtain, but you're going to just look like a fool because you're, you're all soapy. You're just going to fall and hurt yourself. If anything, you're going to just wound up in the shower curtain, end up on the floor. Uh, one of our new staff members is talking about how they, 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 they can't actually put it, like they've got to use one of those tension rods, right? So it never fails when they go to open the shower curtain like every few days and it just falls to the ground, right? How much do you hate that? <laughs> Air's cold, yep. And, uh, and like, oh my goodness. Shower curtains and seat belts and these things that, that rob our control. And in these little things, we see who we truly are and, and our response to them. Oh, but it's just a shower curtain. But what happens when the thing that tries to take our control is our kids? What about when it's that doctor's diagnosis? What about when you just finally had enough money to do that trip or, or, or do that thing that you needed to do and that bill that you didn't expect comes in or that car breaks down? You were just there to a place that you thought freedom was, was right there and something stole it. That job that you know you're qualified for, but it just, it just can't quite come to, to place and, and, and you want to control every aspect of it and you feel like you're failing at it not failing at your job, not failing as a parent, not failing in life, not failing with that relationship, but you're failing at the control of the situation and in the environments of what's taking place. To suffer is to not be in control. And let me say, let me give a disclaimer that in this struggle of control is not to relinquish responsibility. But we so much want to control the outcome of situations rather than what we're supposed to do in situations. 
Peter was being challenged because what he thought was supposed to take place regarding Jesus, regarding the Messiah, it wasn't looking like he thought it was supposed to look like. Even though Jesus told them and he warned them, he even told them about the challenges. He even warned Peter about denying him. And yet Peter still ends up in this place of denial. Why? Because he's suffering, because he's in a place of no control as he stands there at the fire being challenged about who he's following. And he resorts to the same fear that so many of us face, so many of us parents we know, at least in our children. I'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. And so when I look at Peter... I, I see him differently because I see Peter suffering and I see the actions of Peter coming out of that suffering. And so now when I see Peter, even after experiencing Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ, I see Peter going back to fishing and I see it differently because I used to look at Peter and I used to see it more as a comfort. And it is in a sense. That wasn't necessarily wrong, I believe. But Peter, oh, Jesus is gone. He's not sure what to do. He's just returning back to what he, what he knows best. Right? We make excuses. We'll, just, we'll, we'll defend him a little bit. But this life, I've, I've identified myself with Peter more than I ever have in all of my life. In the midst of what I'm facing, what my family is facing, these challenges of life that we're going through, this season of storm that we're in, I've identified Peter with in a much different way than I ever have before. Because what I see with Peter is that he's not just, he's not just returning to something that's comfortable, something that's easy. He's returning to something he can control. I felt challenged this year in the midst of what I'm facing that, you know what, those people coming against me, that church coming against me, those, those, the, the whatever it is coming against me, the situation, or even just the enemy coming against me, I don't need that. And, and in this, this, this lack of control that I've experienced this year leading to my suffering, I found myself not even realizing in the moments that I want to run to something I can control. I don't need that. I can do something different. God, what is this coming against me? I don't need this. I'll return to something I know. And I found myself like Peter. I want to run away to something. Instead of running to the last place that I saw Jesus, like Mary Magdalene did after the resurrection, running to the empty tomb and waiting there for Jesus, I find myself running and just running, just wanting to escape to something I can control. Work, life, whatever this is. I don't need church to do ministry. Which, let me say, that's not a lie, but that's not the point. Because let me encourage you for just a moment. Because you are intended to do ministry. And you are intended to do ministry outside these walls. You have a life and a plan that God has given you and blessed you with. And he desires for you. And the lives of those that he wants to use you to impact the life, the transformation he wants to take place inside your own very life. 
But see, the point wasn't whether or not my ministry, my ministry calling and what I was supposed to do was inside these walls or outside these walls. That's not even the point. The point is what I wanted to run to. I'll go back to town and country by all means, except that I can't because town and country no longer exists. R.I.P. Um, I'm still sad about that, by the way, West Texas. Come on. I was already sad, you know, not having it in Arlington, but I've been sad for a while, the fact that it's not here anymore. But anyway. Some of y'all new here, St. Andrew, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. That's okay. It's a good day. It's a town and country. I can leave. I can run. I can do something else. But that's not the point. And what I didn't realize at the time is that what I was being drawn to what I wanted, is what I wanted to control. So much of the things that we would use to pacify the pain in our life, the things that we would use to medicate outside of church, outside of Jesus, the pain in our life. You know, sometimes what if, what if those things aren't even about the high, aren't even about what you get, aren't even about the muting of the noise inside your head that doesn't want to shut up? What if it is about the thing that you can control? It's about the thing that you can control. Even if it's something that puts you in a situation that truly loses control, but yet you feel like you're in that space. And Peter goes back to fishing, and in John 21 we see this, and we'll finally get to the scripture with, with Peter, and so I can keep moving forward. It says, Simon Peter, in John 21 verse three, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? Oh, I love when Jesus asks a question. He asks a question like he didn't know the answer. You know he knows the answer. Ain't no different than God in the garden asking Adam, Adam, where are you? Like he didn't know, right? You caught any fish? Yeah, he's, he's like, because your net's empty. <laughs> right? Like, he knows. No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. I love this about Jesus. Because Jesus encounters Peter in the midst of his running, in the midst of his seeking control, and he encounters Peter on the side of a beach, and he says, guess what? Peter, the very thing that you thought you even could control in the natural and the physical, guess what? I'm still in control. The very thing that you thought you had control over, going back to fishing, but let me tell you what, I'm still God. I'm still Jesus, and I want you to see something that what I'm here to do is to show you where the control really lies. This is our God. And yet we desire and we chase and we, 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 we go after this, these control aspects of our lives so much. And again, because we want to control the outcome of the situation. Because God, if it doesn't turn out like I think it should turn out, then I don't want to do what you want me to do. I'm just speaking for myself. It's up to you whether you identify with it or not. These are my words. God, if it doesn't turn out like I think it should turn out, then I don't want to do which I'm, what I'm supposed to do. Because I want to control not just the environment and the situation. I want to control the outcome. 
I want to control the results. I want God to be who I think God should be. But let me tell you, if God is who you think he should be, then he fits in the palm of your hand. And if it fits in the palm of your hand, then it's never God that you're worshiping but an idol. And Peter, in the midst of this boat, was never worshiping Jesus, even as he, as he is in, in, his, in his seeking and his searching and his pain and his suffering. It was an idol. Don't cling to me, Mary, because what you think, don't cling to me. When we say that someone has lost control, it's often because the thing they were trying to control is actually controlling them. And Jesus shows us that he's still God. That God would say, you matter so much that even God himself would relinquish control by sending his son as the son of man down to the earth to live among his people. to operate in faith. Peter, he jumps out of the boat, he swims ashore. And in John chapter 21, verse 15, we see where Jesus is making breakfast and talks to Peter. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More questions about Jesus. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. I was all, I was all hyped on, on first service. I got really excited in this part, and I, and I felt myself being really loud, and I realized there's no exclamation point here. I need, to, I need to bring it down. I need to imagine, how is Peter responding in the midst of this question? And do you think Peter wants to hear this question? Do you think Peter, he's excited. His Messiah is alive and on the shore and he's cooking breakfast, because I love breakfast, right? Anybody like breakfast? Every meal of the day can be breakfast food, right? So I love that Jesus is cooking breakfast. I just tells you that every meal should be breakfast. But Peter answers him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the response right here that I read in scripture says, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the third time. Peter was hurt. Peter experienced pain at the question that Jesus asked. But he answers him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I want to pause here for these, these questions. These three questions that we so famously know. Because why is it these three questions? Why does Jesus ask these three questions? Is it because Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus asked the question three times to remind Peter. Can we pause for a moment? Because I really want to say this. Many of us Christians, we get caught up in transactional faith instead of transformational faith. 
And when we feel an enemy coming to remind us of a situation from our past, we tend to operate in a transactional, that it's going to replace one for the other. And that we get caught up in this, well, you know what, I'm going to do more good to compensate for my bad. I'm going to give more money to compensate for this. I'm going to do more good works and weigh it out for this because I want a transactional faith. I want to trade one for the other. And the enemy would love for us to get caught up in this payment faith. This, I'm going to go to the cashier that I believe Jesus is standing at, and I'm going to pay back for what I did wrong. But let me tell you, when Jesus is reminding you of something from your past, he's not trying to get something out of you. He's trying to change something that's in you. And Jesus is not looking for a transactional faith. He's looking for a transformational faith. Because Jesus doesn't want to just remove that thing from your past. He wants to use that thing from your past for your future. He wants to take a hold of that thing. But guess what? When we take control, we don't give it to Jesus. And we want to, we want to just trade. We want to hold on to it with one hand and pay with the other hand. Not only does Jesus remind them with the three questions, but we also even have the smell of the coals. Jesus is cooking fish over the fire, a coal fire, the Bible tells us. They're probably the same kind of coal fire that Peter was warming his hands over as Jesus was being arrested and interrogated and beaten, beaten that night he was taken. And Peter sits there with his hands over a coal fire, and the smell is in his senses, and he denies Jesus three times. And now Jesus is cooking over a coal fire, and Peter, he's not only hearing this three times, he's smelling this. Well, what about three? What about numerology and the, 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 the meaning of three, and what is that? And, 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 but, but what about the meaning of love and the different types of love that are used here? between agape love and phileo love and, and the different loves that we see in the Greek throughout these three, these three questions and these three answers. And, and what about that? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes to all of that. But if I can show you what I believe I saw this time is a transformation that took place. That Jesus was asking enough questions to get Peter past the place. You ever had, uh, for parents, you know, you, you got that kid, and you're like... So, um, did you take that toy from him? No. You, you, know, you know the answer as a parent. Come on, just tell me. You, you coax him. Did you take that toy from him? No. Like, like, and there's that moment where it finally shifts. Are you lying? No. No, Daddy, I'm not lying. And then there's this moment where it shifts, and, and your, your two-year-old changes over and tells you the truth, Right? There's a moment of honesty that takes place, a moment of transformation that goes from one place to the other. I believe that's the place that most of us tend to live in, that Jesus wants to get us from one place to the other. That's the very place that Peter was in. Yes, Jesus, I love you, number one. Yes, Jesus, I love you, number two. And then all of a sudden it says that Peter was hurt. Peter was not even in control in this situation simply by the questions that Jesus was asking. And that's what Jesus had to get them to. It wasn't just about the question, or just about the number of times, or just about the meaning of the words that he used. But Jesus is trying to get Peter to a place of transformation. Because Peter is running and hiding. It says Peter was hurt. Peter was in another situation that he could not control, and Peter was suffering. 
But what about when we release control? That's when the transformation takes place. Because I talk about trying to be in control and that lack of control leading to suffering, leading to our pain that we experience as people. So how do we let go of that control? How do we let go of that thing, that control that leads to so much of our anxiety and worry? And not to, not to lump everything into that one category because it's so nuanced that it's much bigger than that. But how much of our desire for control, our desire to control the, 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 the response, the, 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 the results, what's going to take place, is even at the foundational core of our anxiety and worry that's, that's rampaging through our society and our culture. Inside the church, just as much as outside the church, it doesn't matter where we stand inside or outside the walls. And Jesus responds to Peter on his third time. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I love that Jesus does not give Peter a, a, a definitive goal, a definitive moment when you've done enough. He didn't say, Peter, when you have this many Instagram followers, when you have this much in your savings account, when you have this many friends, when you have this, when you've obtained that title, he's not telling Peter his goal is like that. That Peter's focus is the right thing, not the results. The results will be the natural thing that occurs when you do the right thing. And that we're supposed to focus on the here and now. And he leads Peter and he says, I will tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me follow me. Jesus tells us to love his sheep, to love his lambs, take care of his people and follow him. It's the same commandment that he gives us, that is based on his righteousness that he puts down inside of us, not our own self-righteousness of trying to be in control of situations. We get back to basics. I was wrestling with my bike and my frustration back on that Saturday morning at 7 a.m.-ish, and I'm there with my bike, and I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to win against technology. I'm trying to get it to wake up. I'm trying to get them to communicate, and it's just not happening, and I finally gave up to recognize my place in the lack of control. What is my day going to look like? What's going to happen? How am I going to make it? Am I going to be able to ride the entire 103 miles? I don't even know. I felt God's impression inside my spirit again. And all of a sudden, I just felt a question. Why do you ride? Why are you here? What are you riding for? Because I don't ride for control. I don't ride for that computer. I ride for my mom, and I ride for a sense of feeling of freedom that I got when I got back on a bike and felt like a kid again. And all of a sudden, I was reminded of God's goodness in that moment. 
that it was never about the control and the control was hindering me from experiencing what God wanted me to experience. And yes, I'm even talking about something as simple and childlike like riding a bike. What if when he calls us and Jesus calls us to have a childlike faith, it's not just about believing and different things like that, but how does a child believe? A child is never in control, at least once you get them past the twos. And, and then you have a little gap before you get them into teenagers. I have two teenagers play for me. Thank you. you. You got that little bit of gap before maybe you get them out of the house. But childlike faith of realizing that control is not yours to take, but it is simply to follow in the footsteps of your Savior, of your Messiah, of the one who has called you, who has named you, who has planned you, who has given you purpose and reason. He wants to use you, wants to bless you, wants to love you. Some of you are here today and you are here on Easter. And you prayed a prayer of salvation on Easter, but yet there's still something that hasn't taken place in your life. Still something you're not letting go of. And you feel like Peter. Because Peter's sitting here in this situation on the shore. This is the third time the resurrected Christ has shown himself to Peter. Why, Jesus? Why would you keep showing up for Peter? Because I'm Peter. Because you're Peter. And whether you're hiding behind locked doors or hiding on a boat, Jesus comes to you and he says, I'm still here and I'll keep coming to you because I'm waiting for you to let go and let go of control. You believe in me. You've seen me. You've walked with me. But at some point, you left my side and you went back to what you could control because your faith became scary because your faith became bigger than what you could comprehend. Your faith, there were challenges against you that didn't make sense in light of your faith. That illness didn't make sense in light of your faith. Your kid's rebellion didn't make sense in light of your faith. That failed promotion didn't make sense in light of your faith. And God is saying, I am still God and I am still in control. And what I want you to do is focus on me. There is still a plan. There is still a purpose. And you matter. You matter. You matter to Jesus. You matter to your heavenly Father. That I believe no matter how many times He will still keep coming are you like me in the sense that you can see yourself in Peter today? You've seen Jesus and believed Jesus, but you're not walking with Jesus. You've prayed prayers. You've been in church a long time. But there's still something that you're not being honest about. Jesus is asking you this morning. He's asking you questions. You've been sensing it, you've been feeling it, you've been hearing it. Are you like Peter running to what you can control? It's not even about what you're running from, it's what you're running to. And that too is not involve your heavenly father. I love the resurrection, I'm gonna finish with this. 
I love the resurrection as we just come out of Easter because the resurrection shows us that the ways of the world are not in control. Amen to that. But the resurrection also shows us that the ways of religion are not in control. Which is when we celebrate and we cheer like we did back in Easter and we get all excited, but then God, as Jesus, he stoops down and he reminds us that we also are not in control. If you'll stand with me here in this moment. Our prayer team is going to come forward, and they'll go ahead and come forward now if you would. And I want to do something a little different. Because I feel we need to look at Peter this morning. What we see with Peter is he's on the boat in a situation that he could control. What is that for you this morning? What is the thing that the Holy Spirit's been, been speaking to you about that you've been trying to control? That's not yours to control. Again, we're going to do everything we can as parents to raise our kids in the ways of Jesus. We're going to do everything that we can as our responsibility as Christians and people and whatever that may be within our, within our relationships and our jobs and, and our different things. But we're going to realize that we cannot, even if we desire, we cannot control the outcome. We cannot control what takes place at the end of it. And maybe it's even your salvation that you've been trying to hold on. It's within my grasp, within my means, within my ways of doing it. And you believe in Jesus, but there's been a, a missing transformation that's not taking place. And it's not for me to decide looking at your life. That's not possible, but you know it. Whether that's your whole life or maybe a portion of your life, you've been protecting this space. Don't look, don't touch. It's mine. This is my boat. This is my ship. This is my fish. And if you'll let Jesus, he'll even show you that the very thing that you're trying to control is not yours to control because he is God. And so I want to challenge you this morning, here in a moment. If you're in that place, if you feel God speaking to you, I want you to have the courage of Peter. And just like Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore, Jesus is all in this space. He is in your space right now. But I believe right now at this altar, if you're willing, if you're bold enough, if you're courageous enough, I challenge you to, to come forward like Peter came to Jesus. He sees his Messiah, his Savior, and he says, I no longer want to be separated at all in any way, form, or shape from my Savior. I want to get to him as quickly as possible. If that's you this morning, if you know, don't come to a prayer team yet, just come forward to this stage. If you know you've got something, you need to let go of control. If that's you this morning, I want to challenge you and encourage you to come forward. And you can do that right now or at any moment. And then the second thing I want to do is I want to lead you in three questions. And I'm just going to be a facilitator asking you questions. The kind of questions that Jesus would ask Peter. Peter. 
If you want to come forward, come forward. If you're staying in your seats, I ask you to just close your eyes. If you can, imagine a light. If you can't imagine Jesus, imagine a light. And it's shining. And whatever you're believing for, when I ask you these questions, maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's transformation. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a breakthrough in your life. Whatever that is, it's your family, it's your workplace, it's your city, whatever that is. When I ask you these questions, it is simply up to you to answer these questions as if Jesus was asking you. And the first question is, just answer with yes, Jesus, I love you. The first question is, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Jesus asked us a second time, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. And on a third time, Jesus would ask you, do you love me? And we say, yes, Jesus, we love you. And if you'd be so willing and so bold to raise your hands with open palms, releasing the thing that you've been trying to control, releasing the thing that you've been holding on to, releasing the thing that's really been weighing you down, releasing the thing that's been bringing burden upon your life. God, right now, we, we release control of this pressure, of these things, and we say it was never ours to begin with, that you are God, not me, that this is yours, not mine. We love you, God. We worship you, God. And we say we release control. And just like Jesus would say in the garden, not my will, God, but yours. If there's any way this cup could pass, but not my will, God, but yours. And like Jesus showed us, we also will say, not my will, God, but yours. Say it with me, not my will, God, but yours. And if you will, in the Jesus name of Jesus, praise his name right now. Just clap for him, shout for him, praise him, whatever that is. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's program at The Life Church. Our prayer is that you've been blessed by this morning's message and that God would continue to speak into your heart throughout the week. We are so excited about what God is doing right here at The Life Church as we connect people with God's purpose. Again, if you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us for a visit at 3301 TLC Way. We have two Sunday morning services for you to choose from, 9.15 and 11 a.m. Again, our prayer is that you've been blessed and we hope you have a great week.